Well, this morning we get to continue our track through the book of Matthew. We continue uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, for those of you who are new to Mill City Church, we, uh, we feel that the way that the Lord has called us to preach is to pick a book of the Bible, and we start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we just walk our way through every single verse uh, in, that, in that book. Um, it gives us an opportunity to talk about everything that uh, the Lord would want us to talk about and uh, in the timing that he would have us talk about. And uh, he has been faithful and uh, just an amazing time as we have started to unpack the book of Matthew. So we're going to continue in that in chapter 6. We're going to pick up today in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. We're worshiping you once again in awe of how great you are. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be together, to be able to worship our great God, to, to seek you out, to learn more about who you are, that we may be able to fall more in love with you, get to know you just a little bit better this morning. I pray that as uh, your word goes forth, that, Lord, you would speak to each one of us uniquely and individually, because you can do that. And we don't fully understand it, but we know that it to be true. So we trust it and we thank you. So Lord, we lift this time up to you. We worship you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past few weeks, we've been going through the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We started with the Beatitudes, and then we moved into really a a few uh, uh, sermons really on the condition of our hearts. Why do we do the things that we do? Um, And it would seem that we're just kind of continuing through that. If we hop to next week, it's a very similar passage talking about fasting, and we'll talk about that next week and how, you know, when we fast, don't, don't do it this way, but what's the condition of your heart? And we saw it at the beginning of this, um, of this verse, but then we see this, this little set of scriptures just kind of dropped in to the middle of this discussion, and it's what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And uh, for the longest time, 
it evaded me. It was just words, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But as, as I read this week and as I dug in, um, the Lord's Prayer is something that we, um, it's a gift to us. Um, and it is a model, and it is something that we can actually specifically pray, um, but it's, it's um, I'm just so excited to, to be able to unpack it with you this morning. Prayer um, is one of our core values at Mill City Church. Um, it's actually our second core value, and it's second only to the Holy Scriptures. We believe that prayer is the opportunity, it's a connection, it's a conversation with our God. <clears throat> We put a huge emphasis on prayer here at Mill City Church. Um, if, you're, if you've been here for a while, you know that. Um, we have a prayer and worship service every Wednesday night. That, has, that started before the church even opened, months before we launched Mill City Church. We engaged in a corporate prayer service every single Wednesday night, and that has continued since we've opened. Um, we have been... T- excuse me, talking about corporate prayer on Wednesday nights, how important it is, the implications of it, the opportunities that we have, and the opportunities that we miss not going before the Lord. As you saw just a few minutes ago, we have prayer um, before worship, we have prayer after worship, we have prayer during worship. We believe that prayer is a critical component to not only the life of a believer, you personally, but to the corporate body as we live and worship and live out what the Lord has for us together, um, we believe in an amazing and gracious God that answers those prayers. We had, just my family this week, had an amazing praise answer to prayer. It was a very stressful couple weeks, but the Lord is good, and he specifically put things together and had divine appointments that what could have taken and often takes weeks and maybe months to settle, it was settled immediately. And um, we just were once again able to stand in awe of what the Lord is able to do. Why do we believe that God is good and that he wants to give us those things? Well, the Bible says it. Which of you, if your sons is asked for bread, will give him a stone or if for a fish, give him a steak? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is telling us, come before me. Ask me things. Have a discussion with me. Get to know me. Hear my voice. Learn who I am. Why do we put such an emphasis on prayer? Well, the Bible puts a huge emphasis on prayer. Just a quick Google search, as reliable as that may or may not be, says that uh, in, in, in the collective translations that we have of the scriptures, the word pray or prayer appears about 850 times throughout the scriptures. Now, that doesn't include all of the prayers that are specifically prayed all throughout the scriptures. There's whole books that are effectively devoted to going before the Lord in Prayer, it is such a critical element. And today we get to see this model that comes from Jesus himself. Now for many of us, this prayer that we see that's 
that, that Jesus gives us here in, in Matthew, and he gives it um, in a different context in the book of Luke. For many of us who have grown up in what I'll call the mainline denominational churches, I'm not going to pick on any one uh, church or denomination, but for the most part, if you grew up in the, the Catholic, Lutheran, mainline denominations, if I started speaking this prayer out loud in the cadence that we've traditionally come so, uh, it's been so clear, you would fall right in line. Many, many, of, many of us would. Um, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, and so on and so forth. The problem is the repetitious nature of that prayer that continues to be spoken week in and week out across the world instead of bringing life and the hope that is intended in Jesus' words, it has become this almost droning, mindless thing that we say. And when it, it, it's like we flip a switch in our minds, I'm having a conversation and all of a sudden somebody starts praying and like this weird trance and I just say it not really considering for many many years what I was saying in the first place or the implications of my words admittedly I don't talk like that I have not used art in a sentence in a very long time um, I admittedly I don't I've also I, and I'm not a I, I believe wholeheartedly in all translations of the Bible. I think they all have a lot of merit. I don't read out of the King James Version of the Bible. Um, we don't talk like that. I think there's a lot of value in it, and I use it when I'm looking to, you know, make connections, but we just don't talk like that. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, because of tradition, we just flip a switch into this cadence, and we don't think about what we're actually saying. What if... We took this, the one model that Jesus gave us. What if we took that and we actually prayed it like we were praying for the healing of a loved one? What if we took it with the passion and emphasis that Jesus intended it? The words in the Lord's Prayer have the power to change the world. That's why he told us to pray that way. Well, before we jump in to the petitions themselves and unpack them a little bit, I want to talk for just a minute about um, the, the, the verse right before the petitions. It says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And I thought, well, Lord, I've never babbled on like a pagan. I don't, know, I don't know exactly what that means, but there are many times that in my prayer time or in the car, whatever, <clears throat> I'll start praying and then I'm trailing off over here and I'm trailing off over there and I'm, I can't seem to make my mind work the way that it needs to. And uh, Lord, why am I even doing this, right? Well, <laughs> I think he's saying, the Lord already, well, he says, the Lord already knows what you're going to say. 
He knows what's in your heart. He's asked us to humble ourselves and come before him. So we don't have to, it's not like you're walking up to somebody that you don't know. Maybe, and maybe this isn't for everybody. Becky's never met a stranger, right? Um, so she can just walk up to anybody and, and say, hey, how are you doing? Here's my life, right? I'm not that way. Um, I could walk up to, you know, I could walk up to a good friend. I could probably walk up to Bruce and be like, I, I don't even know how to kind of start a conversation with a good friend, right? Um, but he's not asking for that. He, he knows what we're going to ask. And he says, come before me like someone that you know, like you're going to have a conversation with somebody. And we do see a couple of examples in the Bible of what it, what it looks like between how he's calling us to pray and some examples of what, how, what he's calling us not to pray. And the one that really came to my mind was a story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Um, <laughs> Elijah's effectively like challenged to this like pray off, right? And uh, the prophets of Baal and Elijah come together and um, they're going to they're, they're praying that, the, that their God, our Yahweh God, and the prophets of Baal God would, uh, would call down fire and, and consume up this burnt offering. And uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel says, well, you go first. And uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18, it starts this way. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them, shouting, Louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's asleep and must be awakened. So they shouted louder. They slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered, and no one paid attention. They went on for an entire day that way, crying out to their God. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, so in the moment of, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Then when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. You see, Elijah didn't need a bunch of fancy words to be spoken over and over again. What was Elijah's prayer? God, you're great and you're mighty. And I pray that you would move now to reveal to these people your greatness and that the revelation of your greatness would travel all over the world and that your greatness would turn their hearts back to you. It's effectively what he says. God, you're good. God, I pray that you would answer now, not for me, but so that hearts would be turned to you. And he answered. <clears throat> so you're thinking, okay, Jay, I'm not, 
Elijah. I'm surely not Jesus. I get that he doesn't want, he wants intentionality and purpose in our prayers. Well, what does that look like? We see here what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like standing on the street corners. It doesn't look like continuing to just go on and on and on with mindless words. But what should I say? What should I go before the Lord for? In what ways and how? You know, we see this same prayer, um, this model given in the book of Luke as well. And um, it's effectively the same. There's just a couple of different changes, nothing, nothing real crazy. But it's effectively just what Jesus had said here in the book of Matthew. And in the book of Luke in chapter 11, the, the disciples see Jesus praying. And as soon as he's done praying, they approach him. Now, at this point in the book of Luke, there's been all sorts of stuff that's happened between Jesus and the disciples, Right? So they've, they've seen miracles, they've seen healings, they've seen um, Jesus speak with authority and power, they've seen demons cast out. In fact, actually right before this is when Jesus sends everybody out to do ministry on their own. So they've actually had the opportunity, the disciples, to be able to do ministry and see all of these amazing things happen. They come back and they see Jesus praying and they say, teach us to pray. Now, they could have asked for anything at this point, right? They could, have, they could have said, Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons. Teach us how to preach with authority. Teach us this. Teach us that. But they saw the power and authority that came from Jesus' prayer life. And they said, Jesus, show us how to pray. Now, as we jump into the model that Jesus gave us, I believe it's that. I believe it's a model. Can you pray these specific words? Absolutely. I would encourage you. These are amazing words that bring life. Um, but I also believe it's a model. And I believe we can scale this model from our normal prayer time, where maybe it's in the morning or the evenings when you sit down and you actually go before the Lord and you say, Lord, um, here, here, my, here, my, hear me today, right? You're having your prayer and your Bible and you're actually sitting down one-on-one -on -one time with him. But I believe it can also be scaled to walking into a very difficult meeting, walking into a very difficult conversation. Something dr drastic happens in our lives and we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. I believe that this is also a model that you can go before the Lord in times of crisis and distress because I think more than anything, it helps us to frame our prayers. Let me explain why. We're going to start off right away um, with the first, well, I'll use the word petition. The first petition is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, we serve in an incredible God. He's holy and he's righteous. He's all powerful. We have these fancy words like omniscience and omnipotence. He's all knowing. He's everywhere. He's all powerful, right? We serve this God and he defines himself in the, in, in the book of Exodus to Moses as the I am, okay? He defines himself as that, just the I am, 
And in the, in the Hebrew, it actually translates to the word Yahweh. So how he addresses himself to Moses is, I am that I am. I'm the very essence of being. I am what it, I, I, I define what it is to exist, to have always existed and to, and, and future existence. When translated to Yahweh, which was not used admittedly in the culture at the time, it was a sacred holy word, and my intent is not to, to blaspheme this morning, admittedly. Um, <clears throat> it's to explain uh, the word Elohim or Adonai were the typical words that we used, that the Israelites used for God, because this was the name that God gave himself, and it was too holy in their minds for them to speak. Yahweh, W H Y H W H is how it would have been um, seen in our letters in the, in the uh, English alphabet. But one of the amazing things that we miss in that is Y-H-W-H are what they would call breath sounds. So Y-H is effectively breathing in, and W-H is effectively breathing out. It sounds kind of like... God defines himself not only as the definition of existence, but the definition of the very thing that we need for existence. The very breath in our lungs is the word that God has used to define himself. We're try- God is giving us this opportunity to frame our prayers, starting with, God, you are good. You are the only thing that is good. And before I get into anything else that I need to say to you, I want to acknowledge you for who you are. It's always been about God. It's always going to be about God because he's good and he's righteous and he's holy. That's where Jesus starts. Yes, it is a model. Yes, that, that prayer right there is how I start a lot of my prayers. Actually, if I'm honest, I, my, a lot of my prayers start like this. God, I'm so sorry for, oh, God, you're good. You're holy. And I thank you for the model that you gave us. And I, pr- I promise you, I do this because well, I, get, I get right into it, man. I'm like, God, I need this and I need your provision here. And I'm so sorry for these five things. And you, my brain, I have this little, for those of you that know me, I have this little checklist. I have a checklist in my mind for all the things I need to talk to about God, right? I have that. And I just kind of want to start checking off that list because it makes me feel better. And all of a sudden he goes, now, wait a minute. That's important. And we'll get there. And I, he gives me a check. And I say, Lord, I apologize. Because where I need to start is outside of myself and framing you for who you are and saying, before we get to everything, God, you're good. And I worship you. And I love you. Whatever your circumstance, that's how we should begin our prayers. I love in Nehemiah, we've, we've talked about this before, but uh, in the book of Nehemiah, um, the Lord puts on Nehemiah's heart to go back to um, Israel. He's in, he's in captivity, and he's actually kind of the, one, of the, one of the people in the courtroom with the king. He's the cupbearer, and um, it's kind of a weird job. It comes with a lot of esteem, but you're the first one to die if the king tries, is poisoned. Um, but uh, Nehemiah goes before the, the king, and the king doesn't like people that are, are down, that are sad or upset. So the king says, what's wrong? 
And it says, before Nehemiah spoke, he said a prayer and then spoke. So it was like this immediate, Lord, you're good. You've got this. Please don't believe. You got to have this because you've given this to me. And I pray right now that you would do whatever it is that you're going to do. But I know it started with God. You see, you're, you're, you're here and this is all about you. So this needs to break your way. Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Frame our prayers. Remember God is utmost and foremost. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I say this often, but this might be one of the most dangerous prayers that we could pray. If our hearts are truly open to whatever it is that the Lord would have for us, His will in our lives could mean literally anything. If you're here this morning and you're interested in sitting on the bench in your faith, I would recommend you not pray this prayer. If you're sold out to him and you truly want whatever it is that he wants for you, say this prayer and then put your seatbelt on because he will miraculously and wonderfully ruin your life. I haven't prayed this prayer often, but one of the last times I did, he moved me from Waverly, Iowa to Appleton, Wisconsin. And I thank him daily that he did it. Um, it took me a while to get there. It took Becky even longer. She loved Iowa. I wasn't so keen on it, but... Um, <laughs> You need to be ready for whatever the Lord has for you. Because here's the reality. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When last I checked, when God speaks in heaven, it's done. All right? So what you're saying is, God, I want to be so aligned with you. I want my will to be so in tune with you that when you speak, I immediately respond to you. In the book of Kings, um, I, I apologize, not in the book of Kings, in the book of Judges, um, there's this guy named Gideon. And we actually didn't, it was not that far ago, not that long ago that we talked about this. Um, Gideon was one of the judges. It was the time before the time of the kings. Uh, God had appointed individuals to rule over Israel, um, not as a king, but as a judge. And Gideon was one of those. And at one point in Gideon's life, he um, is called out against the Midianites. Now, the, is, the army of Israel is pretty substantial at that point. Um, we find in the, in the story that the, one of the first things that the Lord does, he says, no, you have too many people. And you're going to war. I <laughs> you know you have too many people. Okay. Too many people to go into battle. Well, what would you have me do? And it says the first thing they did was he released about 22,000 soldiers and about 10 remained. Okay. And Gideon did, said, okay, you guys go. You're no longer needed. I can't imagine sitting there going, I'm ready to go. Hey, nope, you got to go home. Okay. 
10,000 left. No, there's still too many. Go down to the river, and uh, we're going to weed them out, and we're going to weed down to like 300. So all of a sudden, there's 300, and Gideon says, okay. And without really, at least, at least it, what it, now I know the Bible doesn't tell us everything, but this is word for word from the story. There's no white space where Gideon's going back to the Lord saying, you're, I know you're big, and, uh, and I know you can do this, but 300, that just seems, I mean, that seems kind of silly. And I think God would say that's exactly what it should seem like. Because if it wasn't unrealistic, then it wouldn't be about me. And what happens? Gideon goes against the Midianites, and God takes care of the whole thing. And who gets the glory? God does. In the book of Genesis, this story, when I read it, truly for the first time with open eyes, rocked my world. And uh, not because of the sacrifice, that, that in and of itself, after becoming a father, um, we can imagine, you know, for those that are dads, if you, especially for a dad that has maybe waited patiently for um, a long time for a child, and then you're asked to sacrifice that child, I, I can't imagine. But the thing that shook me to the core was the faithfulness of Abraham. In Genesis 22, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replied, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain, I will show you. It's right here. Verse 3. Early that next morning, Abraham got up, loaded the donkey, took with him two servants and his son. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out for the place God had told him about. Early the next morning. There was no, Lord, I think I need to pray about that. There was no, you know, I feel like maybe I need some confirmation on that. Let me talk to a couple of people, and if they agree with you, then I'll do it. Early the next morning. Now, in Abraham's defense, I probably wouldn't have slept. It would have been up early that morning anyhow. But um, nonetheless, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and they set out. Here, Abraham, here's the son that you've been waiting decades for. Now I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. Okay. I trust you. I don't know what's going to come of this, but I trust you. And I'm going to set out early the next morning. I'm not going to give it any time. We're just going to go. And I'm just going to walk until you show me what you're doing. That's the heart that comes with, with that petition. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven do miraculous things in my life. But Lord, help me to become so aligned with you when you call me to do the extraordinary that I'm ready and willing to just say yes. Give us today our daily bread. Well, when we, we need to acknowledge him for who he is, aligning ourselves to his will, and then coming to him with the needs that we have. We know that God already knows what we need right? He knows what we need. And yes, he can provide our daily needs. He does provide our daily needs. 
<clears throat> we see all throughout the scriptures. The, the most famous, I think, is probably the manna from heaven when the Israelites were in the desert. Um, deserts don't exactly grow things. Um, so all throughout the time in the wilderness, in the desert, as the as Israelites circled for those number of decades, the Lord provided daily manna. When, uh, when that day was done, that manna was, was rotten. It, it, it was no longer good. And then he provided manna this, that, that's next day. He gave them their daily needs and portions. I think this petition gets lost with many of us in our culture today. If you go home to the Baker household, we have a refrigerator um, for the most part filled with food. We have two for actually we have two refrigerators and a deep freeze. Um, there's food in all of them. And that would lead me to think that I don't need to ask the Lord for my daily provision. God, I got this. It's okay. I have a freezer full of food. <laughs> if that's what, if that was just what he was talking about. And all of that is true until the world strikes. Because at any moment, the world can strike. And then what? Then what? Then our needs become very real. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I think not only is this model perfect words, but I think it's in the perfect order. God, you're good. God, align my will with yours and give me the things that I need. And we're not just talking daily provision. Are we talking daily provision? Absolutely we are. But all across this room, there's things that this body is calling out to the Lord for. And that's what we're talking about. In this part of that prayer, he's saying, what do you need from me? What are you calling on my name for? Are you, are you asking for healing? Because I'm the great healer. Are you needing provision? Because I'm the great provider. Do you need relationships to be restored? What do you need from me today? See, we get there. God knows what it, what it is that we need. But he wants to make sure all the things are lined up in our lives first. And then he says, what do you need? He knows what you're going to ask. But part of the greatness of it is that we get to humble ourselves before him and say, God, here's the things that I need in my life today. You could be anything. I want to be very clear. God is not a genie in a bottle to grant the flippant desires of some presumed master. He is a God who desires to give good, give, give good gifts to his children, Matthew chapter 7. And tells us that God wants to give good gifts to us. But the benefit is here when it says we pray in accordance with his will, right? So we've aligned ourselves with him in that last petition. God, align myself with you. My will be your will. And when we get to that place, then whatever is going on in our heart is already what's going on in God's heart. 
so that when we go before him and ask him of these things, he can give them to us because it's already in accordance with his will. Because there are no's to prayers. There are. Often we say that God has three answers. One is yes, one is no, and one is wait, right? If we're praying for things that are not according to his will, then they don't line up with him. And maybe we think we need those things, but I can tell you on a number of occasions that I thank him so much for prayers that he knew better than to answer because of my heart not being in the right place. Just is what it is. And there's times when we go before him and we say, Lord, I need this of you. And he says, yeah, but not yet because you're not ready for it yet or the time has not come yet and we need to be patient with him because he knows best. And we know that because we've already aligned ourselves with him. We've acknowledged him for who he is. We've aligned our will with his. So when he does respond to our prayers, we can trust that whatever his response is, is the right one, the good one. And though it can be frustrating, and he can take that, we already know where his heart is because we've already aligned ourselves with him. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is typically where I jump in first. God, here's all the things that I did wrong, and I repent of them, and I'm so sorry, right? Walking into a meeting, more often walking out of a meeting, after having a church conversation, whatever it might be, and maybe I'm alone, I hope that I'm not. I don't think that I am. But I've had a lot of prayers that started off, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that, and I pray that you would do something <laughs> to fix this because I just ruined it. And like we said, he'll, we'll, I'll get there. I know what you need. Let's get all these things out of the way. Let's get you framed up. But it's still in here, okay? It's still here. Because the reality is we still need to acknowledge the sin in our lives and we need to repent of it and we need to turn from it and we need the Lord to do a miraculous healing in us, right? Now, the rules are just a little bit different post-cross, right? Not a bunch of sacrifices that need to be made. Not a, we, don't, we don't live in that world anymore, but that doesn't make our lives in and of themselves less sinful, okay? We're still sinful beings that need a savior. And every day, the enemy's prowling around and he's looking to deceive us and we'll get there in a second. But we do enough damage on our own. I do enough damage on my own. I know that I need the Lord's daily forgiveness and I need to acknowledge him as my savior on a daily basis, on a moment by moment basis in my regular prayers. As I, you know, Paul says, pray continuously. I think he wants us to be continuously reminding ourselves of how great God is and how we need to be continuously aligned for him. We need to continuously be looking to him for provision. We need to continuously be seeking out those things in our lives that need to be, have the light shined on them and repent. We need to continuously be doing these things because if we don't, we're deceiving ourselves. 
He calls us to forgive those who have sinned against us. In fact, it says, give a, it says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But if we hop to 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Guys, this is one of the most critical moments. I've had three conversations this morning, just this morning, about people struggling with unforgiveness in their lives. Okay. When we sin, we know that we sin. We know that we need a Savior. We come before the Lord as difficult as that is and we repent of those things because we know we need to do those things. But it's very difficult when you're sinned against because the same forgiveness is needed but it's so difficult because at least for me it's not that prominent I need to do something about it. I have this perception that when somebody sins against me, they have something that they should be doing about it. And while that's true, that's on them. I have something that I need to be doing about it. Because I cannot be more clear that unforgiveness that leads to bitterness in your life will not only distract and derail you, it will create this ceiling for what the Lord's able to do in your life. When we walk around with bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives, it will kill us. Now, I say that, it will, but it will, it will kill us. The amount of anxiety that I found myself in holding on to unforgiveness, um, was arguably worse than the sin that I was holding on to in my own life. And when I got rid of, when I repented of that sin, there was this huge weight lifted. And then I, then that unforgiveness in my life shined out all, <laughs> shone all the brighter in my own mind. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul puts it to the, that way to the church in Rome. He goes as far as to say, when you go to make a sacrifice, now this is then, but truly now, if you go to make a sacrifice, but you're at odds with a brother, leave that sacrifice, leave that altering at the altar. Go make peace with your brother and then come back and make that offering. If you have sin in your life this morning, today is the day to let the light shine on that sin and repent of it and turn away from it. If you have unforgiveness in your hearts this morning, you're not binding the person that offended you, you're binding yourself. 
and you're a child of the Most High King, and he wants nothing more than for you to live in the freedom of not holding on to those things. It's just truth. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the worship team can come. You need to know, we need to know, that there's an enemy prowling around waiting to devour us. Okay? Now, the enemy is defeated, right? The cross won that battle. He no longer has power over our lives. However, that doesn't erase him from existence. The most dangerous thing that we can do is pretend like the enemy is not there because he is. And if we pretend like he isn't there and we live our lives in such a way like he's not trying to get to us, that he's not trying to distract and derail us, he will slowly find a way to do it. We're still sinful human beings. We still do things that we ought not. And he will find a place to get in and he will corrupt and he will destroy if we let him. If we let him. We've been given power through the death of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit to stand against him. We have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, you need to prote- I need your protection today. Reveal to me where the enemy's trying to get in. Reveal to me where the enemy's working. And Lord, give me the power through your spirit, not on my own, because on my own we are powerless and defenseless against him. We just are. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the death of Jesus, we've overcome him and we can walk in the freedom of not needing to be fighting him on a daily basis. But that doesn't mean he's not there. We need to acknowledge Jesus every moment of every day, working in his power through the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to protect us and direct us, to give us the ability to see what God's doing and to partner with him in his great commission that he's invited us to do. So as we pray, as you go before the Lord on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, whenever it is that you find yourself speaking with him, use these things. Now I want to encourage, God wants a unique and intimate relationship with each and every one of us. So What I'm not saying here is when you go, you have to take this and you have to do this, right? Now, if you've never, if you've never tried prayer before, or that isn't a regular habit of yours, I would encourage you, use this. Jesus gave it to us. But he wants us to have a conversation with him. He wants it to be not this this regimented thing. God, what would you have for me today? God, I love you. You're good. You're holy. 
Lord, wherever I'm not in alignment with you, I pray that you would realign me. Lord, you know what I need. You know, Becky's got this and the boys have this going on and man, my, I, I'm this or whatever, you know. Oh, Lord, you're good and I just pray that you would get rid of those things. Come through in these things, Lord. Lord, as I pray for the people of Mill City and friends, I pray that you would do whatever it is in their lives that you would need to do. And Lord, I repent. Lord, whatever, Lord, stuff that I know I did, I'll just line it right up. And, you know, sometimes recapping those things, can they might seem like they're going to be this shame you know, just reiterating all of the bad things that I did, but to go, Lord, I did this and I repent of that. And I pray that you would remove any, any lingering effects or shame from that action. And I pray that you would restore that relationship because I was a bonehead and I said this or I did that. Lord, you know it, and I pray right now that you would, you would work in such a way that I know you we're in the midst of that situation. See, it doesn't have to be this regimented thing. We get this opportunity to have a conversation with the great creator of the universe, and that's what he wants it to be. One time, a, a, a pastor friend of mine who I was seeking leadership and mentorship from, he said, Jay, when you pray, what do you envision? Nothing. I just pray. You know, when I pray, I sit down in my armchair and I envision Jesus sitting next to me. And I say, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you, I just want to have a conversation with you. And I just want to have this time of intimacy with you like you would with a, a friend or, or a spouse or whatever it would be. I just want to have a conversation because I want to get to know you and I want you to hear my voice so that when, when, when I speak, you can hear what I have to say. Because that's what Jesus wants for us is a personal relationship. And I'm on the track with everybody else. Because <clears throat> even when I found freedom in this model, it was, very, <laughs> I promise you, it was very robotic. Okay, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this. Now I'm going to talk about this. Um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be the Lord, you're good and you're holy. And you're, again, I'm kind of ticking those boxes and he's just going, Jay, shh, just talk to me. And like I said, sometimes it's in regular prayer and sometimes it's in a moment of crisis. Sometimes it's in a meeting. Sometimes it's just as we have our regular conversations with him throughout the day. Open your heart up to him and use this as a model acknowledging that this is, this is how we align ourselves with him. Like I said, we get this opportunity to, to have a conversation to intimately know this great creator, God. And it's through Jesus that we have that opportunity to be in relationship with him. And for me, I never, it, it took a long time for me to understand what that looked, kind of looked like. That relationship is, is um, well, it, it just kind of evaded me. 
because there was this weird dynamic between wanting to be his friend and acknowledging that he is who he is. And I'm like, how do I, how do I meld those two things, this, this lowly being that I am, greatly loved by the king, but nonetheless, just a normal human, how can I have this relationship, intimate relationship with the great creator of the universe? It's because that's the way he designed it. And at the cross, he opened up that relationship so that we can, we can talk to him, we can interact with him, we can hear his voice, and we get to partner with him in all these amazing things that he's doing. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, all of this sounds amazing. I want so bad to have that opportunity and relationship to be able to go before the God, very God, and have a conversation. The reality is you can. You've always had that opportunity. And when we when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, when we, when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this amazing opportunity to be grafted in to being a son and daughter of the Most High. And he says, I love you. Talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's get to know each other. So if you've never done that, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never given your heart to the Lord, if you've never acknowledged Jesus as the Lord of your life, you have an opportunity today. You have an opportunity every moment, but I truly believe that the Lord has brought you to this place for this time and this purpose that he's speaking to your heart right now. And you know it. You don't know, maybe you don't know what it is, but you can sense it. And that's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, saying, now's the time. You're here. I've drawn you to this place for this specific moment. And it's time for you to give all of your life, all of the things that have continued to weigh you down, all of the things that have gone on in your life. I want to take all of those burdens and I want to give you life and life to the full. I want to give you eternal life. I want to give you an, a, a never-ending relationship with me. So if that's you, I'd encourage you with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If that's you, then today's that day. And we would love to pray with you. Just a sign of an upraised hand. If you've never given your heart to Jesus. Just a sign of an upraised hand. That that's, today is that day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's one more group I'd like to speak to. And it's those that know that wherever you find yourself this morning, you're not where you once were. 
At some point, you followed him, you trusted him, you walked in line with him, you heard from him, but you find yourself this morning far from him, or at least it might seem that way in your heart. You know you're not where you need to be in your relationship with the Lord, and you're here this morning, and maybe you've been sitting in a chair here at Mill City Church for weeks and months. Maybe this is your first time here. It doesn't matter because he wants to draw you back into a right relationship with himself. And maybe somebody told you that once you walk away, you can't come back. That is a lie. Because he has been right there pursuing you the entire time. And I can't think of a better thing to do than this morning is you turn your heart back to him and start walking with him again. Is there anybody in the room this morning? that you know your life is not where it needs to be. The sign of an upraised hand, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Well, God, you're so good. God, we thank you that not only do you give us this, this model to pray, you listen to us when we do it and you respond. And in the lives of those that raised their hands this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would bring divine appointment, Lord. Just encourage each one of those, Lord, to seek out a staff member, to seek out somebody that you know, that we can pray for you. And Lord, as we go out of this place this morning, Lord, that our prayer lives would be changed. Maybe it's a little change. Maybe it's a radical one. But Lord, let our lives be aligned with you. Let us acknowledge you for who you are, the great creator of the universe, that you want good things for us, that you want us to align ourselves with you, that you have the power to forgive sin and to bring restoration, that you have the power to forgive and the power to give us the heart to forgive others. Lord, protect us as we go about our weeks this week. Lord, bring divine appointments. Lord, give us opportunities to speak truth in life to those in our lives, Father God. Lord, give us the boldness to invite somebody to church. Give us the boldness to say, hey, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord or if you even know what that means, but and I think I would love for you to come along with me to church this week. No strings attached. I just want you to come and listen. So Lord, go before us this week. Each and every one of us, I pray, that you would that you would bring those opportunities, Lord, that you would bring answered prayer, that you would bring provision, that you would do things that we know only you can do. So we thank you in advance. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.